0: Welcome to Hashara podcast. Before we begin, I would like to inform you this episode contains content that may be alarming to some listeners. Please feel free to step away and take a moment to yourself. We do not intend to offend or hurt anyone's personal sentiments. In the honor of Indiana's abortion state ban going effective on September 14th, we will be discussing what comes next for reproductive rights, state laws, exceptions for abortions, intent and credibility of these lawmakers. The power versus human rights view in the decision making impact on individuals and their careers, along with birth control options post the abortion ban. Hello, everyone. I'm meetha back at it again. I'm a computer science senior and a second year hash it out scholar. I hope you remember me from last year and I hope you're not tired of my voice because it will be happening for this semester as well as next semester. I'm beyond excited to be a part of this podcast for the second time. Thank you to everyone who gave me this opportunity. I swear I became very possessive last semester. I was, I was probably going to cry if I didn't get hashed out for the second year. But my goal is to create a sense of active citizenship among the scholars and the listeners. And I'm grateful for this opportunity. I hope you enjoy listening to us. Today, I'm joined by my very amazing co-host, Tapiva. How are you today? Hey, I'm
1: well. I'm, you know, having exams this week. Uh, I'm just trying to stay positive and optimistic, and also sleep here and there.
0: Yeah, sleep is always that's important. Without sleep, I, I guess without food and sleep, I I do go mad. You said you had four exams. Like, how are you? How are you managing that over the weekend? Honestly, I don't really
1: know how. <laughs> um I had to study so much. It was so much material. Honestly, um I have two I had two exam. I have one like after my lecture today. Um and I had one this morning, then I have one tomorrow, two Wednesday. So it's like, oh my goodness, it's a lot going on, but I'm going to be okay. Like everything will work out. Um I also had the chance to work on, you know, the research for this podcast as well. So that helped to, you know, break up the time as well.
0: That that sounds very exciting and very stressful. Um, Good luck to you on all the exams. You seem very, very packed. If you need any memes or any amount of chocolate lo- you like, let Ooh, me know. I, I can, need
1: all the chocolate. <laughs> I can
0: happily, <laughs> happily send it your way. OK, so without any further discussion, let's dive into the topic. So on June 24, 2022, the Supreme Court ruled in the Tobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, the ruling upheld Mississippi's ban on abortion at 15 weeks of pregnancy, overturned Roe versus Wade and ended the federal constitutional right to abortion in the United States. By overturning Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court erased nearly 50 years of precedent. They took away our power to make our own medical decisions, giving lawmakers that power. The case started with a woman who took on legal pseudonym Jane Roe. Jane Roe became pregnant in... 1969 with her third child and wanted an abortion but she lived in texas where abortions were illegal except in rare circumstances the court ultimately decided that during the first trimester the decision to terminate a pregnancy was a woman's choice because it constituted a woman's right to privacy and as such it was unconstitutional to ban women's access to abortion in individual states With the decision from the Supreme Court, the states could still regulate but not outlaw abortion in the interest of a mother's health. Beyond the first trimester, the court ruled that the states could regulate or prohibit abortions except, when necessary, to preserve the life or the health of the mother. With Roe v. Wade overturned, the Supreme Court now puts the decision back into the state's hand. More on that in a second. On June
1: 24, 2022, Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade was overturned but what does that mean for us now and what does overturning roe versus wade mean even mean because i know that so many of us like we're seeing the headlines and it was like even hard to keep up we saw that there was a leaked transcript before the actual decision and then the decision occurred and slowly it felt like a domino effect as far as states starting to um, implement bans so in the wake of the reversal of roe v wade Many were now worried um, how this would affect birth control, including IUD. There was even a worry that the emergency contraceptive would be banned eventually, too. How far will politicians go now that Roe v. Wade is reversed? I want to make it clear that right now, Plan B isn't banned in any states as far as we know. As we talked about earlier, we talked about how the... um, the law here in Indiana isn't very clear. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. Yes. Um there's so many rising questions looming now that Roe v. Wade is overturned. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Yes, I think the Howard uh, professor in her op-ed, Michelle Williams, stated this very clearly, and I wanted to quote her over here, that in a nation that does not mandate paid family leave, a nation where it's acceptable, acceptable for states to hoard billions in federal welfare money instead of giving it to needy families, a Supreme Court's decision cleverly dismisses a woman's right in controlling her reproductive future. In a nation that does not guarantee universal healthcare, a country that tolerates black women dying in a childbirth at the same rate as women in Uzbekistan, a US Supreme Court justice declares that it's not much of a burden to carry an unwanted pregnancy to the term because some states have safe haven laws allowing parents to give up their newborns without repercussions it's important to understand what's the impact of a child or having a childbirth on a woman for example according to an eye-opening study from university of california san francisco women turned away from getting unwanted abortion are more likely to struggle afterward they have had difficulty paying for food, housing, transportation for years and years after such an experience compared with the peers who were able to terminate their pregnancies. Their credit scores are lower, their debt is higher, the children are more likely to live in poverty. This does not sound like a prescription for healing divisions in our society. In her recent interview with Vogue, in an essay, Serena Williams, one of the greatest tennis players to ever exist, wrote that the main reason for her retirement was wanting to expand her family. Williams. Is is not alone in her decision. For many professional sportswomen, pregnancy and motherhood are often the main reasons they end their sports career. And as Williams acknowledged in her essay, it's, it's a decision male athletes often don't need to make. She said, I never wanted to have a choice between tennis and family. I don't think it's fair. If I were a guy, I wouldn't be writing this. That makes me wonder, first, it back to the cultural p- norms that persist on women which fundamentally pit that being an athlete against being a good mother or in general being a careerist or thinking about your career against being a good mother. This way of thinking suggests that a perfect mother is selfless, solely focusing on caring for her child and her family. But being an athlete requires people to focus on themselves and put their needs first to compete at their best. This way of thinking can create a guilt, especially for someone who may still choose to compete after becoming a mother. So... My question over here is, do, do women always have to choose between a career and having a child, whereas men can afford not to have that choice in the first place? What happens to athletes who are not nearly as successful as Serena Williams? And what happens to women who cannot afford to not work?
1: Yeah, I have to say, when I was reading um, Serena Williams' information that you um put as the research and also just reading the article that they put in the magazine that she published, um, I was actually like, I actually had to pause and realize like that's a decision that I kind of have to face too as I'm getting older. When I was um, younger, I used to think I can do it all. I can be a career woman and have a family. And as I'm seeing, as I grow older, how hard it is seeing some of my friends, some of my um, family members who are women who have careers what the things that they had to sacrifice. some of my you know family members who are like say traveling nurses, they have to miss out on their children's um, you know football games or soccer games, ballet lessons when they're away. And how that puts a strain and especially in a society that doesn't necessarily put that same burden equally on men and women. It's like it's all on the women to make sure the house is put together and to kind of be the backbone for the family. And so I see a lot of times when women choose career as well as family that sometimes they don't have the support from their partner uh, because they didn't have that same responsibility growing up. Like, I, I remember helping my mom with my brothers when they were little, changing diapers, you know, bringing um, things that for food that she needed or, you know, getting the bottle out of um, the, you know, the warmer or, or whatever, you know, she needed. But I never saw any of my brothers or guy cousins, like, have that same um, interaction with children. So then when you grow up, like, even with toys, like, I had a kitchen set. I had, um, you know, baby dolls and things like that. It's like everything was surrounding becoming a nurturer. And, you know, even when I remember in first grade when they wrote when we they gave us like sheets of what we wanted to do when we grow up, like all the girls wanted to be moms, like all the girls wrote that, you know, they were going to work for a certain time and then they were going to have kids or some didn't even put any job that they wanted in the future and now that things have changed, the thing that I'm noticing is that we're allowing women to have careers. We see that all the time. But what hasn't changed is the burden that the woman has to carry as far as family. It's like the more she has career, the less people look at her as feminine sometimes. Um, some women have cho- in like corporate America have chosen not to have children because They've found that having children disrupts their career. And then also I've heard um, advice from women who have been mentors to me who they said that when they were working in the corporate um, sector that they didn't have pictures of their family in their um, in their offices because for men it's looked at oh he's a family man you know he's got it going on but he doesn't have to make the same sacrifices but for women it's looked looked at oh she may be gone sometimes or she's not going to be able to handle the workload because she has a family and so to your point with Serena Williams it does show that she wouldn't like there is a physical demand at the same time a mental demand for her as a mother She physically came back maybe a little bit less strong. And then also mentally, maybe her mind was thinking about her child. Like, you know, maybe she feels like, oh, I'm missing out on this milestone or I want to be with my kid. Like, regardless, she's a parent. Um, And she has a great partner who is supporting her. So for her to make this decision and have a partner who also equally takes care of their child, it goes to show that what about the women who... Don't have that type of support in the everyday life and aren't in the public eye. What would what would their stories be? So that's that's the thoughts I had on that.
0: Yeah, I, I think you brought in a very interesting point because you know, growing up, irrespective of what part, like we're just talking about the United States, or an example of an an American over here trying to discuss the facts within this country but growing up the place that I come from in India it's always like for my mom. she's a research scientist you know but for her it wasn't just oh she has a PhD and she's a research scientist but it's mm-hmm. also you know she's taking care she's waking up so early to taking care of her kids like It's like now, it's not just, oh, she has to be educated or she has to have this extra qualifications, but it's also she has to do this hundred other things as well as do this part of, like, being a mother. And But, uh, like, for example, even for me, when I left India... Like, I I had a brother at the same time who was going out for his master's degree in Europe. And he was basically told that, hey, you know, think about where you're going to work. Think about what's going to happen after this. Once, mm-hmm. you, once you get your master's, like, what are you going to do with it? Uh, what, How are you going to settle? How are you going to live your life? How much you're going to earn? What do you want to do in your career? What do you want to do with your degree? And whereas with me, it was like... Oh, it's nice. It's great. You know, you're being so ambitious. You're going out and you're doing, you're getting out, you're relying, you're such, you're being so independent at such a young age and all that. But literally at the end, my goal was oh, make sure like, you you find a guy or, you know, like, um, make sure you think about having a family and all that. So why? Why is there a difference between irrespective of which culture we come from? Right. Women are always at the end goal is being a mother. The end goal is no matter how successful they are in their careers, like your life is not fulfilled until you are a mother or until you are, quote unquote, settled. Like have a family life, have a husband, have a kid and like do these hundred million things. But like nobody like if a man is single or out until 50, there are so many examples in whether it's Hollywood or whether it's irrespective, even in the society that I lived in. But men are not pressuredized to do any of these things like men like my brother wasn't told you should think about having a family. You know, I was told that like the difference in how a woman's future should look like or the way society keeps a woman's future irrespective of what country we are in stays the same you know women are always treated as a reproductive organ in the end of the day that hey you have to reproduce think about having kids think about being this being this ultimate person who gives family to someone or builds a home or has this balanced life like it's it's never like hey you know you should also think about yourself like we're always taught to put others first and keep ourselves second like, it's, it's just, it's something that bothers me a lot. Like, I'm like, why? Why do I have to choose? Why are women, like, men given this choice? You know, like, for example, Novak Djokovic, Roger Federer. These guys are playing in their 36, 37, winning Grand Slams and, like, their tennis players and them having kids has not affected their physicality at all. All they have to care about is aging, which is what all athletes have to care about, irrespective of their gender. Like, because as you age, like your body's getting old, you have injuries and so on. But they don't have to worry about childbirth. They don't have to worry ha- about losing half of the abdomen uh, strength. Like, they don't have to worry about any of it. Like, why?
1: Right. And also, I think there's that piece, especially with Serena Williams, is like there's a a time like a like they call it the biological clock it's the time when you are able to bear children so I feel that if Serena Williams could have played until her body literally tired out and still had the option to have children later on when she's done playing tennis I don't think she would have retired right now I mean I know that's like using you know I'm just inferring or you know, guessing that that's what she would have done. But, yeah, there's like a time limit even on women. And I feel that as you get closer and closer to the big 30 number, people start to wonder, like, when are you going to have kids? I have people asking me that all the time. And I'm in college trying to, you know, get my degree and graduate and do things in the career. The last thing I'm thinking about is – Family, which, you know, it's okay if you do think about family. I have representation in my family because you talked about your mom being a research scientist. My mom actually left her career in banking and was a stay-at-home mom. And I do notice the difference in treatment because some people, uh, because of the way that my, my mom is, she's a very – I I think she's the smartest person I know. Um, When they speak to her, they assume, oh, are you a teacher? Are you a doctor or something like this? And she's been a stay-at-home mom. She had to leave her career. And yet, you know, it's like they they don't even when women do the I guess I don't want to say the stereotype, but the the thing that is expected to have a family only like even then, I feel like in society, you're not even held to a high standard even then
0: yeah that's true that's very true but that's something that kind of brings me to another point is like does banning abortion or making abortion illegal is going to stop people from having abortion or not wanting to have one in the first place Hmm. i
1: think from the research that i saw it doesn't necessarily lessen the amount of abortions People will go through so many difficult and terrible lengths to get an abortion the backdoor way. I think it limits abortions in a sense of like if they did a um, if they did a study right now on the abortions that are being done right now in states, obviously they can track them because they're being done in clinics. Can you track the ones that are being done in the back door? No, you can't. Mm mm-hmm. The only thing that you'll you'll know is maybe some of them go wrong and those people go and get care. Those are the ones that are being tracked. So, in my opinion, I don't think it it brings down abortion. I think that it some maybe it takes away some people who are going to have to go through with a pregnancy because they don't want to do the backdoor method. Um, They don't want to do it, you know, an illegal way. But abortions have happened before it was legal, and the whole point of legalizing it was to save lives, to save women's lives or anyone who is able to get pregnant and isn't able to take care of the child that they you know, they have, the pregnancy that they have, for various reasons. It doesn't really matter. Um, that access should still be there. One of the biggest worries about overturning Roe v. Wade is that this has taken away the right of women to have access to a safe abortion. According to an abortion provider census taken by Guttmacher Institute, there has been an 8% increase in abortions from 2017 to 2020. This number is staggering, considering that there has been a steady decline for the last 30 years. An increase in abortion numbers is a positive development, it means people are getting the healthcare they want and need. Rather than focusing on reducing abortion, policies should instead center the needs of the people and protect their right to bodily autonomy. And that was from Goop Matcher -Matcher Institute. Another layer to consider is that the COVID-19 pandemic disrupted the healthcare systems across the United States. Some states attempted to ban abortion access early in the pandemic, falsely claiming it was not essential health care. And I do remember that that they were considering them not they were not electing certain procedures and surgeries as um, as important or essential um, to one's health. When we know that if you have a issue with your pregnancy, that can be life threatening for the mother. Abortion is maternal health, according to the WHO statistics. The risk rate for unsafe abortion is one in two hundred and seventy people. According to other sources, unsafe abortion is responsible for at least eight percent of maternal deaths worldwide. Forty eight percent of all induced abortions are unsafe.
0: Wow. You know, it's yeah. When people with unintended pregnancies face barriers to attaining safe, timely, affordable, geographical, reachable, and respectful, non-discriminatory abortion, they often resort to unsafe abortion. According to the World Health Organization, from the same study, lack of access to safe, affordable, and convenient abortion care and the stigma associated with abortion pose risks to a woman's physical and mental well-being throughout the life course. In fact, in the same study conducted by the World Health organization dated back in November 2021, each year about 4.7 to 13.2% of maternal deaths can be contributed to unsafe abortion. In developed region, it is estimated that 30 women die for every million unsafe abortions.
1: Mm. That's such a big number.
0: Yeah, that is. That most certainly is. You know, that makes me question, like we're talking about unsafe abortions and we talk so much about, women having the choice of mm-hmm. all these things. But some of the state laws and some of the, you know, and all of these state laws, it's like, oh, you can get abortion in rare circumstances. But let's try to explore a bit of like what these rare circumstances are. Like, what are these things? abortion exceptions doing for rape survivors and any form of assault reporting like what even there's something called as marital rape like what's happening to those kinds of survivors who are coming out of this how is abortion working from for them
1: yeah that reminds me of this article i read from abc news um that it states that the abortion ban is now affecting in indiana Patients seeking abortion will now have to travel further for abortion care. It's interesting because Indiana provided refuge for a 10-year-old from Ohio who had to cross state lines to receive to receive abortion care after being pregnant as a result of rape. Ohio was one of the first states to ban abortion and Indiana has now followed suit. The doctor who administered the abortion for the 10-year-old patient is being harassed. She says it's hard to understand why a political figure, a prominent figure in the state would want to come after physicians who are helping patients in every single in their every single day in their state
0: you know that's very interesting in how indiana's law is being played out in terms of these exceptions mm-hmm. but i was reading about how these other states are putting out their uh, exceptions for abortion and it was very interesting because i read this npr article where they were talking about various state laws and how they are being structured around these quote and quote circumstances and exceptions and Idaho law, which bans most of abortions for about six weeks after about six weeks of pregnancy, is modeled very similar after similar to the Texas law, which allows anyone to bring lawsuits against healthcare providers or anyone else accused of helping provide such abortions. Unlike the Texas law, Idaho's ban allows abortions for pregnancies resulting from rape or incest. If the assault is reported to the law enforcement according to the sexual violence prevention group RAIN that is rape abuse and incest national network more than two-thirds of the survivors do not report their assaults for various reasons including the fear of retaliation or a belief that police would not help them if they did report it's so absurd it's so absurd the fact that like when someone gets raped, the first thing that they think of, oh, I need to go and get a rape kit and I need to report all of this. Like, what if they don't have the strength to do any of that? Like, they have to live with something that has, none of this is there. Like, it's something like a terrible thing that has happened to them, a violation of their respect, a violation of their boundary, Mm -hmm. a violation of their body. And now they have to fight for the circumstances. Like, it's... I can't believe that there are lawmakers who exist who make these kinds of law like what is wrong with these people like it it baffles me that people are not even willing to like are you like it's it's something that's beyond my state of understanding when someone we should be providing support and care to these people you know because there's something that has something traumatizing that has taken place in their life and instead of providing help we're putting more burden on them we're putting more shame and stigma on them and that's that makes me wonder how how people because how survivors are being treated in all of this like and is our justice system or even our reporting system like why do they feel like they won't not get help like where is the justice system failing where is the police system failing to not provide enough support or try to eliminate that fear like the feeling that they think or the belief that the police would not help them like where does this even come from you know like these are kinds of questions that The police system or the reporting system needs to ask themselves, like, why don't people believe us? Why don't people think that we are reliable for reporting? You know, like it it's just something that's beyond my understanding at this point. And I think what's absurd, too,
1: is that if for me personally, I can't I can't speak for you. But um, with sometimes without doing this type of deep diving research, how would I have known that this was you know, the law like this is um, in Idaho. And I think also in Texas, it's modeled after Texas. So say if I moved to Texas and, you know, God forbid something like this were to happen, I wouldn't know the steps that I needed to take. It's not like we're educated on what what happens, you know, if if that happens to you, if you're assaulted or if you're raped, what the steps are. So I don't even know if people would even report based on the report and then based on the fact that if they get pregnant or something that they need to, you know, have this all documented. I don't think people realize that that's the case. So if you say you if you didn't report it, that means later down the line, if you find out that you're pregnant, you're not able to go and get any type of abortion care that's out the window because you didn't report. To me, that is also an injustice because there's a lack of education on what the law's And the laws and their implications to our everyday life in general. And also, like you said, if something like that were to happen, it's very shocking to the body, like to your mind, to your emotional health. You're not in a position to make these type of like decisions that have these long lasting consequences if you don't, especially in the state of Texas, as we've seen.
0: Yeah, that's that's very true. That you, uh, that makes me, you know, when these laws are being made, that makes mm-hmm. me also wonder about like the lawmakers in question, because what is what what like what was the main intent of overturning Roe versus Wade? What is was that people trying to follow some sort of morals they have, or was it more of um, trying to take control of someone that you perceive as weak, or mm-hmm. was it just taking? Control or having a power because clearly, when you're sitting in the Supreme Court and you're one of the judges, or you're up high in that influence, you know, like there is a human need that goes around, irrespective whether it's abortion or any other case, where humans always have this tendency to exploit what they perceive as weak. Like, let's say, the way we treat nature, you know, the way we treat. A, like a lot of things around just for an example like the way we are treating whether it's how we are we have taken whether it's issues of environmental justice or just exploiting things that we think we have more influence over and that's where more of like where my question comes in that if they really like is it more about life or is it more about trying to save life then like let's make foster care or adoption compulsory for a couple above a certain income let's make taxes free for someone who's trying to uh, have a child or let's make some sort of a stipend program for mothers for single single mothers like oh every month they'll get certain amount of thousands of dollars to help raise their child like what is primarily the intent behind all of this or is it just following a book or is it just about like some sort of morals that they have inflicted upon themselves which like what is the intent what is the reason why these lawmakers are doing any of this
1: that's something that i've asked myself as i've been doing the research as well that you know sometimes the i in my opinion these lawmakers use their religious backgrounds um Not necessarily because of the moral implications, but rather for power, because like you said, if we really cared about mothers and making sure that mothers or parents in general are able to take care of their children, our foster system wouldn't look the way that it does. There are so many children in the foster care system, and those are lives, those are living, breathing humans who are walking this earth, not having the correct resources, not having families, not being adopted when, you know, they like orphans or foster children, not being adopted into families after a certain age. There's a age um, like I think it's 50, 14 or 15 year olds. It's hard to have those children adopted versus newborn babies. Um, they're easier to become adopted you know that's just the truth that's you know the the articles are there so you know being that people are using their cultural or certain religious beliefs to create laws it's very dangerous because today it's roe v wade what about the other laws that have been implemented are we going to reverse those too because of our own belief system what i believe it has nothing to do with what someone else believes that's why the law is created so it's not supposed to be um objective it's not supposed to be uh it's supposed to be impartial to our own beliefs um and the the thing is like as someone who's grown up in the church like i in, in christian church i've been able to see like how it's easy for you to believe like you're taught this from when you're little that, you know, I'm going to use abortion as the example, like that abortion is wrong and that it is just horrible in the eyes of God. And then you grow up believing that. And I see how it's hard to break away because if it's a cultural thing, too. If you're around everybody that believes the same thing as you, your parents believe that your siblings, your cousins, um, your friends at church all believe that. Then you go to another maybe you go away for call to college in a different environment and you start to question like you know different things and you it's either you have the choice to either start to research and learn and educate yourself or to just stay in your bubble and you know use your uh, Christianity or whatever religion to weaponize others and then also I've seen You know, I've struggled with, you know, the idea of abortion when I especially when I was younger. But then I saw um, people within the Christian faith like like have situations where they that was the option, like that's what they had to do. And so who are you to take away that choice? I realized that it's a very personal choice and we're. All under God given the freedom of choice and I think you know it's not our right to take that away. it's not right to take that choice away from others and there are people who politicize the issue and use it as leverage and policymaking that has to end and that has to stop because it it started with Roe v Wade who knows when where it will go I don't even believe that they feel so strongly about the religious implications but rather use religion to lure in voters and followers to their campaigns
0: You know, um, I again want to emphasize that we're not trying to offend or um, like just to give a warning, we are not trying to hurt anyone's personal sentiments here. But you brought up a really interesting point in terms of, and that's what where my, where I try to think where we lie because Mm -hmm. in India, like there are so many religions, like we're literally a chaos of all kinds of religions. And we have a constitution. We have a law constitution and so as United States. But you know, The kind of issue that we're facing over here is when does that religious book become the law? like what's the difference between the judiciary system that's already established versus the set of social rules that everyone is given in their religious organizations or their belief systems? Like where does that draw a line? And then if we're going to end up following the book that we are given or these religious organizations that are in the place and like that are there, present in our life since the day we were born... Then what's the point of a judiciary system? What's the point of Supreme Court judges? What's the point of having a law system? What's the point of having a constitution? Like, if we are going to follow these set of social rules. The other question is that United States is, we have multiple races and religions over here. So are we just following that one book? Or should we all disintegrate into having our own religious courts and following it accordingly? And, you know, now that we are saying, or people are basing off this majority of even unintentionally or intentionally, they're placing it off in the name of whatever book that they were come from, or whatever belief systems they were born into. But then what is next coming? Is it same sex marriage is going to be illegalized or what else? Like, because in that sense, someone not following a particular form of group or this thing would be considered as, you know, someone that they should need to be banned. So, where is this heading now? Because if, if we take the one, if we take some, any organization's book, if we take religious, if we take belief systems, then what's the difference between the law system? What was the point of a judiciary mm-hmm. system in the first place?
1: Yeah, and I think that's where a lot of people forget, um, you know, history and why certain things were put in place, like the separation of church and state. It's supposed to be implemented in our government the separation uh, the whole point is so that everyone can um, can practice their own religion whether it's Christianity whether it's um, Islam or whether it's um, being a Hindu what whatever the religion is we all should be have the freedom to practice what we practice and believe and I think there's muddy waters when we start to also put it into the law because then it's like one religion powering over another. And then I feel like it it makes people of other religions not have the same rights because one religion is kind of ruling what the way that they believe or see fit. And, it, you know, I think that we're a nation of all types of people. And so our laws should encompass everyone mm-hmm. that lives here. Um, so that we can be the beacon of of liberty that we say that we are. Um, And like we said earlier, this is in no way to make any religion or religious person feel bad. I myself... um, am a proclaimed christian so this is not um that but i just want to i wanted to say that uh specifically from my experience because like i talked about I, i wrestled with that too and if individuals wrestle with certain issues that's where the law is supposed to step in as that impartial voice of reason so that we don't you know we're not um we're we're not wondering or we're not unsure of where the line is because the law is there.
0: Yeah. You know, th- that's interesting when we're talking about law, but I really wanted to focus on the lawmakers in question over here, which is the Supreme Court judges. Like, yes, when I was looking more into the background, there were some interesting things that were coming forth in terms of um, how they came into place in the first place and how they were put in a supreme court charges and something that I realized that it's really a story of how a conservative club ended up dominating the Supreme Court in the end of the day like we have something called as a Federalist Society so when Justice uh, Ruth Ginsburg died in September 2020 we knew one thing for sure that the person that Donald Trump would nominate to replace her would be affiliated with a powerful organization called the Federalist Society. The Federalist Society is a club for conservative and libertarian lawyers it's focused on promoting conservative legal thought and filling the American Judiciary with like-minded allies. It was founded about 41 years ago by a bunch of law students, nerds, who felt um, necessary on their law school campuses because of their conservative views. And with Amy Cohen Barrett now on the Supreme Court, six of the nine judges are current or formal Federal Society members. And that baffles me because you basically have a club that has a certain views that have certain point, and now that the whole club is part of one of the biggest revolutionary law making mm-hmm. panel, like how is the fact that there is no one like six out of nine that's like majority that's sitting there? Who is there to question these people? Who is there to tell them, hey, no? This is wrong like this is not how it's supposed to be who is there to question their belief systems that they have been taught since they were ever kid because all of them think similarly there's no difference in problem solving there's no difference in thought making there's no difference in how social issues are perceived so where is diversity where is democracy where's yeah any of that
1: i found that so interesting um Because it's like it adds another layer. I think people were already upset that the current, like the president is the one that appoints judges and they stay on for life. Right. So even as times are changing, as um, attitudes and society is evolving, these beliefs that, you know, from this powerful society live on for years on these panels, like you said, on the judge panel, on the Supreme Court. Because they're there for life. And if they're being pulled from this powerful organization where people are like minded and they all think the same, there isn't that diversity of thought. And that's why they were able to pull off this Roe v. Wade reversal, because there were enough judges. It was a majority to be able to do this. And they have the power to do so much because they're all like minded so they can just band together and There goes our rights. I think we have to look at, you know, this type of um, lawmaking and the people that we put in power and we vote. That's why who we vote for, even on the local level, all the way up to the president is so important. As we see who is the president is who gets to replace people on the Supreme Court and they get to pull from like. In this case, Donald Trump, he got to pull from the um, the Federalist Society Club because they were those that voted him into power.
0: Yeah, that's very true. You know, that makes me question, like, how many of these are actually, irrespective of what side of the debate they are on, but how many of these people or judges are really there to make a change and protect the society. And I'm emphasizing the protection of society here a lot over implicating their views. Like what, like even now that we have this podcast, now that we have this platform to say something like are we like how are we using this you know like that's the one aspect like even on the tiniest level or even on the supreme court judge level like are people caring more about how they can influence their thoughts on other people or how they're caring more or are they caring more about oh you know um this is all about protecting people this is all about making sure everybody's safe like irrespective of what side of the debate on like Is it more towards power or is it more towards, oh, this is actually a responsibility to make this country better or to make any society better? This is actually a responsibility to make sure that there's affordable health care, to make sure that women are not dying off because of some some kind of reason or dying off of like miscarriages or some like unhealthy pregnancy. Like, how do we like what's the difference over here like are these people is it all in the end of the day a power game or is it because these law systems these judges are in place to protect people like there's a reason why the idea of government that exists you know like the idea of democracy that exists so is it all a facade or is it just power game or are there individuals who are actually trying to make it better like who do we trust now like that's that's the one question because even in Texas, like they're trying to turn it into a law where someone cannot fly out for abortion. Like they're they're literally caging people for their personal choices. And mind you, none neither of us are for or against abortion, or at least I can speak for myself, is it should be my choice because in the end of the day, whether I get an abortion or not get an abortion, it affects me. It affects my career, it affects my financial, mental Physical, emotional well-being, It it's not affecting anybody else. So why does a lawmaker who has nothing to do with me, who has no contribution to helping raise my child or not raise my child, have any form of influence on what I do with my reproductive organs or reproductive system is something that kind of triggers me a lot. Mm.
1: I like what you said when it's not really about being for or against. It's about... Everyone having their own personal decision and their own choice and having access to maternal health care, because that's what it is. Um, I don't think, you know, people take it lightly when they do have to make the choice. Um, They have, you know, people have different reasons, different backgrounds. And, you know, we've seen some of the tough um, situations as we were reading for the research, um, like that 10 year old. Girl, that that's the one that's most recent that we that many people in Indiana can remember or because the the case is actually ongoing right now. Um, And now Indiana is no longer going to, you know, have abortions here. There's a ban here as well. So it's important that we know who we're voting for. We are aware of the processes that go on. And then we also have to know what this reversal encompasses. You know, do your research. And understand that, you know, there's there's more at work than just, um, you know, them overturning the the policy. There's a lot at stake here.
0: You know, that's very interesting. You talk about the Indiana's new law, but Indiana's new law. Bans abortion in almost all cases and does not involve involve any explicit language discussing the contraceptives or the birth control or the morning after pill. Like, for example, Jennifer Dobrak, she's a law professor at RU McKinney. School of Law. And she said that the language in the law could conceivably outlaw certain forms of birth control, including IUDs that can interfere with the implementation process. But the problem with all of this is how is a normal human being or the person who's pregnant supposed to know whether or not they're taking a medication or using a contraception that is actually prohibited? Because they honestly think that they are Whatever they are doing is okay and under the law is not prohibited. And she said that basically the law adds more vague language, leaves the room for interpretation. More on, she added that the law does not go far enough in detailing what is acceptable, leaving contraceptive users potentially vulnerable to accidentally doing something illegal. So that's the problem with Indiana law. It's dealing in an area of science that is sophisticated with the law that is not sophisticated. And brings up a question of privacy, you know. Like if your doctor asks when are your last period and you tell your doctor, is your doctor obligated to report that to the government? If you've missed one, who's checking? Who they? Who's monitoring if we don't have the right to privacy anymore?
1: And that that privacy piece... Reminds me of an article that I read that many people had concerns that rose up about period tracking apps, because like you said, if the doctors like are may possibly with this new law, if the language is not clear, they may be obligated to report. What about also where we track our cycle? Um, If you regularly report your cycle on various apps, how safe is your data? Would the government be able to request that data? A popular tracking app had come forward and said that they don't sell the data, but many users still felt unsafe and deleted the app. The data can be sensitive because there is a possibility you have missed periods or you record that you've been pregnant. The fear is that the data can be used in the court of law to criminalize someone who chose abortion. According to The Verge, period tracking app. There's a period tracking app that released an anonymous mode on Wednesday, which lets people use the app without linking their data to their name, email address or IP address. The new feature, which the company says it hopes will set a new standards for privacy protections in health apps. Is It is a, dir- a direct response to privacy concerns stemming from o- the overturn of Roe v. Wade in June. Following the ruling, reproductive justice advocates raised the alarm over the possible use of the sensitive data collected by period tracking apps in prosecuting abortion seekers. So there is a lot that this encompasses our own privacy. Are we obligated to report and how will this affect people when they go into their, you know, gynecologist appointments? Will they have that fear, that worry um that whatever they find that day could be implicated in the court of law?
0: Yeah, yeah. That is very true. I think it's over here it's kind of important to understand what are the resources available for all of us at least on campus like what can RUPI as campus do? So the health and wellness office has resources for you to know your status and other sex education resources. You can also find it on the IUPR website um, under the condom club is now renamed as a safe supplies club so there are membership training sessions that are held and you will need to register prior to the training but you can pick up any pre-made to go bags or submit an order ahead of time if you need specific things you can pick up these items in the suit 350 in the campus center during schedule times marked on your order but you can I'll put out the links in the episode description but there are resources on campus for birth control that are available for you to use.
1: And also, um, there's the mental health um, resources, too, that you'll put in the description as well. Well, we've had a great discussion today. Thanks so much for listening to Hash It Out. We hope today's episode has been insightful. If you have anything to share, feel free to hash it out in the comment section and on social media. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes. Bye.